0: Well, good morning, South Fellowship Church. We're going to worship Jesus this morning. This first song is just asking God to open our eyes to Him. So let's do that. Let's open our hearts to Him and worship Him. Prepare yourself. Hey.
1: You can stand up. Why not? Hey.
2: Still we know the best is yet to come, there's more to come.
1: Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in the form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father.
0: That's Philippians chapter two, beginning part there. And this next song says, how firm a foundation. Jesus is the firm foundation upon which our unity stands. Jesus is the firm foundation upon which our hope stands. Jesus is the firm foundation upon which we exemplify our lives. (laughs) So let's sing this great hymn. How firm foundation ye saints of the
2: lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to jesus hath fled fear not with me. You are steadfast. You are steadfast, God, remind yourself, and we trust our trials thy pathway shall lie my grace shall so sufficient sufficient be thy supply, supply. The, flame the flame shall not hurt, hurt thee I only design I thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine see you stand You are steadfast, God. You are never changing, and we trust our life. You've proven you are good. Into your gracious hands, stand fast, God. The soul sadly
0: steadfast father but you are a creator of hope you're a way maker when we seem to have lost all hope you step in and create hope
2: you are here moving in our midst I worship you these
0: truths with us.
2: And it's who you are Yes
0: Well, happy Mother's Day, South On this Mother's Day, we, we want to do something a little bit different We want to sing a song over you <laughs> And this song is called The Blessing And it's drawn from this passage in Numbers chapter 6 That's known as the Aaronic Blessing Numbers chapter six, verse 22 says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I I love that. It's just it's sort of the spirit of a loving mom on this Mother's Day, a loving dad who just beams down on their child. And this is God telling the priest, this is I. This is my heart for the people. And I want you to use your voice to express my heart of blessing to the people. And so that's what we want to do now. It's not us blessing you this morning. We want to sing this blessing over you but it's actually God's heart to bless you. So maybe this morning it would help you to move your body and and posture yourself to receive this blessing, trusting that this is God's heart for you, not just you, because as God blesses you, it passes down from generation to generation, from children to child to child, and that's how God longs to bless us from one generation to the next. And so we just wanted to invite our daughters to come up and be a part of this blessing. They're gonna come up and from our family to yours, bless you. Come on, girls. (laughs) From our family to yours, we wanna bless you.
1: see you we
2: Your family and your children and their children and their children, May his favour be upon you and a thousand generations, and your family and your children and their children and their children, May his favour be upon you and a thousand generations, and your family. Your children and their children and their children. In His presence, before you, and behind you, and beside you, all around you, and within you, He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming. For you, he's 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 for you.
4: South family, I wanted to share another spiritual practice with you today. This is good for anyone, but especially kids. Remember, a spiritual practice is when we connect with what's in our heart, with our mind, and our hands, something our whole body can do. Today, i want to focus on prayer. Prayer is just talking to God, like I'm talking to you right now. It's telling God what's going on in your life, asking for help, thanking and praising Him, and even seeking forgiveness don't have to know any fancy words. You just simply share what's on your heart with God. So here's a simple way to help you to know how to pray for different people in your life by using your hand. It's called my five finger prayer. So first we're going to use the thumb which is the closest to us and that's going to help us to remember to pray for our family and friends. So your prayer might go something like this. Thank you God for my family, my friends, protect them, and give them joy. Next is our index finger, or our pointer finger, and this represents those who teach, instruct, and heal us. So you might say, thank you God for my leaders and teachers who point the way for me to go. Give them rest and clear minds. Next is our middle finger, which is our tallest finger, and that represents our leaders in power, such as the president. So you might say, God, give the police, government, and military wisdom and strength. Next is our ring finger, which is also our weakest finger, and that's to help us to remember those who are weak. So you might say, God strengthen those who feel weak, those who are struggling or in need. Help me to see them and offer help when I'm able. Last is our pinky, which represents you. So this is the time to pray about the things that you know are going on in your life so you might say god help me learn your ways surround me with good friends strengthen me in mind body and spirit remember this is just a guide a way to help you to know how to pray for those in your life you might want to be more specific with names or you can be general like i was but i want you to remember that prayer is simply just talking to god but it's also listening to god So today, I encourage you to share with God what's on your heart, but also take time to listen to what God might want to share with you. Not
5: long ago, I was talking with a friend who's a wife and mother of four adult kids. Uh, I've known her and her husband for a long time, so I asked how their family was doing given the quarantine and the lockdown and she smiled and she said well overall we're doing fairly well she said we're healthy and Dave and I both have our jobs and our third son Cole is graduating next week from the School of Mines Uh, but then she paused and she got actually really really teary-eyed and her voice dropped and she said but I'm really really sad for Cole because He can't have a formal graduation ceremony, and we can't throw a party to celebrate his hard work, and he has no job prospects for the summer or the fall. I think her experience resonates with a lot of us at South Fellowship. Uh, Most of us are healthy, many of us have our jobs, and our families seem to be navigating things pretty well. Uh, But there's a dark side to all that we've gone through, and that makes us sad. I mean we can't go to our places of employment like we used to and we can't go out to eat and some of us are feeling financial pressures and what's really hard for me and I would guess is really hard for many many of you, we can't gather together in person as a church body. You know as I thought about my friends experience and our collective experiences over the past eight weeks It served as something of a parable to me for Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day is a cultural tradition where we get to show our love and our appreciation for our moms and let them know how much we value them and how much we want to honor them. And all of that's great. But Mother's Day can have a downside as well, especially in church world. Uh, Those who are single or single parents can feel left out by the way we sometimes handle this holiday. And then there are others, uh, moms and dads, men and women, who have had tangled relationships with their own mothers, and so they don't want to celebrate at all. And then there are those whose hearts have been set on being a mom, but they never got married or they found themselves infertile, and this always invokes a lot of pain. I have some friends who are highly gifted and highly committed Christians, and their lives have been dedicated to the service of the Lord in various venues around the country. But years and years ago, they found out that they were infertile, they could never have kids, and so they never go to church on Sunday, on Mother's Day, because it just hurts too much. So, preaching on a day like today can be tricky. Uh, Given that reality, though, I want us to look at a story from Scripture that I hope is going to be an encouragement to all of us, whether we're a mom or a dad, or whether we're single or we're married, or whether we're young or we're old. So friends, wherever you're at, whether you're in your family room, or you're sitting around your kitchen table, or maybe this morning you're out on your back patio, I want you to turn in your Bibles, or I want you to follow along on the screen as we dive into our text, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. The author tells us that there was a certain man from Ramathion, a Zuthite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Well the writer introduces us here to Elkanah and his two wives Peniah and Hannah and they live in a central part of Israel called Ephraim. Now the background to this story is that it's a bad bad time in Hebrew history. First uh, Samuel picks up where the book of Judges ends and if you've ever read the book of Judges you know it reveals in gross detail how God's people were spiritually and morally compromised. In fact, that's evidenced by the last line of the book of Judges, which says that everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. And then at a personal level, as you look at our text here, you, you don't have to be a marriage or a family therapist to see all the potential tangles and tensions in Okana's family. Uh, polygamy was never God's goal or purpose or ideal in marriage, but it was part of life in the ancient Near East. Uh, The idea of having more than one wife was often an act of what we might call insurance, because children were essential to ensure that the family line would be carried on, that the family business would be in the right hands. Now it seems likely from our text that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife, but it's clear that she's infertile. So he marries Peninnah to ensure that he had children. And so they do, but Look at what transpires according to verses 3 through 8. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, And the Lord had closed her womb. Uh, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she would weep and wouldn't eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, not only is Hannah infertile, but Panaya's a baby factor. And the more children she has, the more she rubs the salt of that into the wound of Hannah's heart. I mean, it doesn't take too much imagination to see Panaya doting on her children with a smirk on her face. And then she looks at Hannah and she says, oh, Hannah, dear, I know how hard it is that you haven't been able to have kids. But really, dear, it's it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, after all, I have so many I just don't know how we're going to feed them all. Not only is Hannah infertile, not only does she have to endure the emotional abuse of Paniah, but this always happens during what was supposed to be the best time of the year, the annual pilgrimage that everyone in Israel made to Shiloh to worship the Lord. Uh, this was to be a time of celebration of eating and drinking and fellowship and joy. But it was nothing but absolute torture for Hannah. All she can do is weep and grieve. And in her grief, she has absolutely no appetite whatsoever. Elkanah, with the best of intentions, sees this and he tries to comfort her. But his words just bounce off of the emotional wall of her pain and her sadness. You know, maybe this morning in your own way, For your own reasons, you can relate to Hannah's heartbreak. Some of you in this church have never been able to have kids, and maybe the pain of that is still deep down in your heart, and you can resonate with Hannah. Or maybe for others of you, there's a situation going on in your family right now, and it's causing a lot of distress, a lot of pain, a lot of grief. I mean, families are often messy, like Hannah's was. And that can really hurt, and that can hurt for a long time. Maybe some of you here have lost a job or you lost a business due to the virus shutdown. And now you're at the end of your resources and you're facing a mortgage payment or a rent payment with more to come. Uh, One of Melanie's and mine's Sunday night rituals is every Sunday evening we set up our trays down in our family room and we eat our dinner and we watch the CBS News show 60 Minutes. In this past Sunday night, uh, Scott Pelley was interviewing a woman in New York City who had spent years and years building out this incredibly successful catering business. But then the coronavirus shutdown came, and she's lost everything. The business is gone. And as Pelley conducted the interview, this this woman struggled to hold back her tears and keep calm. But as we watched this, and we we watched her pain coming across the screen, it, it just broke our hearts. And at the end, Scott Pelley asked her how she kept going, and she said, well, fortunately, my husband still has his job, and we rely on our faith. And well, in the face of her own pain, her own heartbreak, Hannah does the exact same thing. Look at verses 9 through 11. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Well, after the celebratory meal of worship, Hannah gets up and she walks to the edge of the house of worship and there she just pours out her heart to the Lord. Uh, Friends, let's notice the language that is used here. She's in deep anguish. She's weeping bitterly. And then she makes what's known as the Nazarite vow that if the Lord gives her a son, he will be given back over to the Lord as God's man for the rest of his life. Now, from our cultural perspective, we might be tempted to think that this vow was Hannah's attempt to bargain with God and uh, try to manipulate God in some way or another to giving her what she wanted. But that's not what's going on here at all. I mean, we need to remember that even if the Lord is to honor her request and give her a son, when that son uh, is, is given back to the Lord, he's not going to grow up and be around to take care of her in her old age after Elkanah dies. He's not going to be around to take over Elkanah's business. He's not going to be around to protect her from Panaya or maybe even Panaya's children. Friends, this is a prayer that she prays of intense, white-hot devotion. She wants to know, Lord, will you remember me in the midst of my heartbreak and my pain and my infertility? Lord, do you hear me? If you give me a son, I'll hand him right back to you because he's yours. And what I find fascinating about Hannah's prayer is that it's made to the God who allowed her heartbreak to happen. I mean, we already read back in verses 5 and 6 that the writer has told us twice that it was the Lord who closed her womb. And yet here she is humbly bowing before him as his servant pouring out her heart in tears and anguish and grief because she knows that he's sovereign and he's the one who can open what he closed so she runs to him and she lays it all out with a white hot intensity that is breathtaking in its honesty This prayer, this prayer from the depths of her anguish, from the depths of her heart, is so outside the bounds of the standard Hebrew ritual of worship that's going on around her and that's been going on the last few days that it causes Eli the priest to look askance at her, to misjudge her. Look at verses 12 through 14. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Uh, Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Now, it's interesting. She doesn't get defensive. She doesn't get belligerent. She just very openly, very honestly tells Eli about her emotional condition and her pleading with God. As she says here in verse 15, Not so, my lord. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Uh, One of my favorite groups of Christians in the history of the church are those saints who lived in the late 16th and early 17th centuries in England and North America called Puritans. Uh, One of the reasons I like the Puritans so much is because they highly valued the Bible. And they really took preaching seriously. But another reason I like the Puritans is because they were big-time prayers. They'd pray a long time in church. They'd pray a long time in family devotions at home. When they were alone, they would pray a long, long time. And they had a saying that they used to encourage each other to pray, and it was, Pray until you've prayed. What they meant by that is pray from the heart, be honest, be forthright. Pray some prayers of white-hot devotion because you're talking to the king of the universe who sees everything, who controls everything, and he loves you and he has you in the palm of his hand. Oh, friends, Hannah knew that. And so in the midst of her heartbreak, she pours out her soul to Almighty God and she begs him to act. And wherever we're at today, whatever the issue is that we're wrestling with, I want to encourage all of us to do the exact same thing. This is an unusual, somewhat strange Mother's Day in 2020. So whether we're wrestling with a family issue, an infertility issue, we're tangled up with some kind of a sexual issue or maybe a business issue, whether it's a health issue we're dealing with or a church issue of some kind, or maybe we know somebody who's wrestling with coronavirus, let's do what Hannah did. Let's pray some white-hot prayers of devotion to our sovereign God. Let's throw ourselves on His mercy. Let's, Let's beg Him to act. Now, if you're like me and you hear, the pastor given exhortation to pray until you've prayed and beg God to act. You might be tempted, like I am, to think of all the times you've done that, and yet things didn't work out like you had planned and hoped. Maybe, just maybe, maybe you're you're sitting there in your living room or sitting there around the kitchen table or sitting out on the back patio, and you're thinking, you know, I prayed for my mom to be healed, and she wasn't, and that's why Mother's Day is always really, really hard for me. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I prayed that my company would stay afloat over the last couple of months, but it didn't, and now I got furloughed, and I'm really scared going forward. Or you're thinking, you know what, I prayed five or six years ago that that divorce wouldn't go through, and it did go through, and my heart was broken. Or some of you are there, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, I've been praying for years to get married, and yet I'm still single, and there don't seem to be any good prospects on the horizon. Some of you are thinking, you know, I've been praying for my kids to come back to church and they haven't. And then there are those of you who are saying, you know what, we prayed for years to have kids and we never could. Well, those are legitimate concerns. Those are legitimate feelings. But if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little detour to the New Testament and I'm going to let Jesus answer those questions for us. Here's how I think he would respond to our concerns about prayer. I think he'd say something like this, you know, my friends Mary and Martha prayed that their brother Lazarus wouldn't die, but he did. You know, sometimes life doesn't work out the way you want, but remember, 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 God is always working one way or another, and at some time or another, he's going to come through, so don't quit praying those white hot prayers. Or maybe Jesus might look at all of us and he'd say, you know, when I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I did not want to go to the cross. And I prayed with white hot intensity and I begged the Father to take that cup from me. But he said, no, you're my only son. And you got to go to the cross because the sins of all the people at South Fellowship need to be atoned for. And you're the only one in the universe who can do that. And so while it didn't turn out how I wanted, I wouldn't trade any of you for anything. Friends, both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach us some twin truths that we've got to get a grip on if we're going to pray these intimate, devoted, heartfelt, white hot prayers in the midst of our pain and our crises and our sorrow. One of those truths is that God is completely sovereign and He runs the universe from the biggest galaxy down to the smallest microbe and He always knows what's best. A second truth is that He loves you and me. He went to the cross for you and me and He wants to hear our prayers because we all matter to Him. And here's what's really encouraging, at least it is to me. This story of Hannah, the heartbroken wannabe mom, shows that when we begin to pray those intimate, intimate, devoted prayers of tears and anguish, where we pour out our hearts to the Lord and we we lay ourselves before Him and we beg Him to act, when we do that, things begin to change. Uh, First of all, we begin to change. Look at verses 17 and 18. After Hannah's given her answer back to Eli about what she was doing in her prayers, Eli answered, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Now look at this next statement, it's amazing. Then she went away and ate something and her faith was no longer downcast. Well, if you've ever gone through a season of heartbreak and grief, you know that a lot of times you don't feel like eating. And Hannah had been so distraught by her infertility and Paniah's abuse that even when Elkanah tried to give her the very best of their food at the offering, she wouldn't touch it. But now, after she's changed, her countenance has changed and and she wants to eat. And friends, remember, keep in mind here that she has no idea whatsoever at this point if her request will be granted. But now she's different. She's been changed. What we need to recognize is there's a spiritual and emotional dynamic at work when we throw ourselves uh, on the mercy of God and we beg him to act on our behalf very often, he starts to change us. Uh, I know some folks who have prayed about a kid who went off the deep end, and they told me after a while that as they prayed about this and prayed about this, they clearly sensed that the Lord came back and was saying to them, hey, can can I change you before I bring him back? I mean, it was your negative attitude that drove him away in the first place. Can can I have 100% access to you first? And they said as they prayed, the Lord began to change them. Uh, The second thing we notice as we pray these white-hot prayers of intimate devotion, the circumstances around us begin to change. Look at verses 19 and 20 early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the lord and they went back to their home at ramah elkanah made love to his wife hannah and the lord remembered her so in the course of time hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named him samuel saying because i asked the lord for him oh if you remember hannah's prayer earlier in the narrative she asked that the Lord would remember her. She was asking God to help her and affirm her and show her that she mattered to him and to do that by giving her a son that she'd give back. And the author tells us here that the Lord did remember her and she finally does get pregnant and then she gives birth to Samuel. Clearly, clearly, her circumstances have changed. Uh, But friends, I think it's important that we notice that the text says in the course of time. How long was that? Was that six months? Was that a year? Was that two years? Well, we don't know the exact number, but when the author of 1 Samuel uses that phrase, it oftentimes means a number of months or sometimes even a few years. The point is, is that we need to keep praying and keep trusting and then keep on living because as we pray over time, the circumstances around us we'll begin to change, because as we pray those prayers of white-hot devotion to this Almighty God, spiritual power in our circumstances is unleashed. I have a prayer list that I go through almost every day, and on that prayer list are the names of some people that I really care about who don't yet know the Lord. And while none of them have yet come to know Christ, almost all of them have attended church in the last couple of years, at least on Christmas Eve or at least on Easter. And I'm praying and I'm trusting that in the course of time, the Lord will draw them to himself and that they can come to know Jesus as their Savior. See, as we pray these prayers of white-hot devotion, as we throw ourselves on the mercy of God and we ask him to act on our behalf, first of all, he begins to change us. Secondly, he begins to change the circumstances around us. And then thirdly, when we pray those prayers of intense devotion, history begins to change. In verses 21 through 23 of the narrative, we're told that Hannah waits until little Samuel is weaned before she presents him to the Lord. And then when he's weaned, probably about the ages of four or five, because in Hebrew culture it took longer for them to do that, She then fulfills her vow. Look at verses 24 through 28. After he, that was Samuel, was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. Hannah and Elkanah and Eli don't know this. But at this very moment, God has begun a new phase in the history of Israel. As Samuel grows, he'll eventually take over for Eli, and then he'll become the greatest prophet and the greatest leader in Israel since the time of Moses. Uh, No longer will Israel be spiritually and morally corrupt. Instead, Samuel will lead them in true worship and the obedience of the Lord, and his ministry will pave the way for Israel's greatest king, David. And David will set the stage for what happens a thousand years after him, when the Messiah, his son, comes in his line, in his lineage, whose name, whose name is Jesus. Friends, when Hannah prayed her prayer, she had no idea whatsoever of all the good things that would transpire in its wake. And yet she still prayed from the depths of her heart. So friends, I want to encourage all of us to pray some white-hot prayers of intense devotion. Because when we do, we're saying, Lord, I know that you are the great God who runs the entire universe from the largest galaxy to the smallest electron. I know that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm acknowledging how utterly dependent I am on you and your mercy. So, Lord, I'm praying and I'm asking and I'm begging for your help because if you don't act, it's not going to happen. If you don't bring him back, it's not going to happen. If you don't heal me, all the doctors and the meds in the world won't make a lick of difference. If you don't help me overcome my critical spirit or my addiction or my spirit of laziness, I'm in deep trouble. Oh, Lord, you are the great and awesome God, and I'm throwing myself on your mercy and I'm begging you to act. So, Lord, do whatever it takes to change me, to change our circumstances, and in the process, change history for the better. Oh, Lord, please remember me. Please remember us. And in your time and in your way, act on our behalf like you did for Hannah, because you are our God, and we are your people.
3: Children and their children raise.
6: good morning south fellowship church uh that was a great service uh thanks again for joining us today and a special shout out to all the moms in our midst uh we love you we're grateful for you and for your investment into our lives and uh really glad you're here today uh, just a couple quick things i want to tell you as a follow-up uh next level groups we talked about this last week but the series not like me we want to take it deeper and farther and so we're asking you to consider to jump into a next level group or to start your own next level group. And it means that you're going to read the book, Not Like Me, by Eric Bryant together. And um, you you will go through that, you'll support one another, and you'll, you'll actually push each other to live out the ways of Jesus. And so i love it if you do that. There's a link in the chat right now for you to figure out how to take a next step into that. Or you can go to our website, southfellowship.org. Family Promise, you've probably heard us if you've been around for a while talk about this. But if you're new, four times a year, this community invests in taking care of families who are currently experiencing homelessness. And normally we bring them onto our church campus and we take care of them. Uh, we house them for a week, we feed them, we play games with them and their kids. Uh, we, it's just a really fun opportunity, tons of volunteers. Right now with COVID, we can't have people on our campus. And so we're putting these these, these families up in hotels and providing them meals and those sorts of things. And so while we can't volunteer, you can give specifically toward that. And so uh, I just wanna encourage you to prayerfully consider how you could financially support those families during that week with with maybe taking covering a meal or covering a night in a hotel room. Uh, we'll drip out more information about that for you so you can get involved, but it's a great way to get involved. Last thing, um, I just wanna say thanks for your generosity. The Lord has just really taken care of us during this COVID time. And I just wanna say thank you for being generous, consistent, Givers. It's a real blessing. More than you know, God's continuing to bless us and provide for us to meet all of our needs. And I um, want to encourage you, if you're not giving, you can certainly do that. There's a give link right in the chat right now, or you can go to southfellowship.org slash give and give that way. Uh, or you can go to our app and you can give right through the app. I want to say again, thanks for watching. If you're joining us live right after this service, like right now, uh, join us in a Zoom room. We also have one for kids. There's links in the chat on ways you can just hang out with other people. If you don't want to talk much, you can just say, I don't want to talk much, but it's, it's cool to see other people's faces, to talk together, to take uh, the sermon and talk about it a little bit more and apply it to your life and just to have some fellowship with South Fellowship family. You can go on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, like comment, share. If you're on YouTube, it really helps us help other people who don't know about South or about Jesus to see it. If you just like, and you comment and subscribe, that's all for me. Have a great day. Love you guys. Miss you guys. See you next weekend.